Hello, sunshine. Hello, sunshine. Hello, sunshine. Gotta make hay while the sun shines. What's this? This is Hello, Sunshine. What if by sharing our stories, we could change the world? Welcome to Hello, Sunshine. I'm Diane Guerrero, and this is How It Is, a show where real women tell their own stories. We're unfiltered, real, and totally ourselves. Today, we're diving into how we use our voices to make change. I'm Reese Witherspoon, and I have to say, turning 40 really helped me find my voice. I had spent a lot of my life worrying about what other people think and worrying about choices and whether or not, like say when I was trying to decide a movie, whether or not a gigantic audience would want to see that instead of saying, what are the stories I want to tell? And I think I had to be about 40 till I thought, gosh, I want to tell the stories that haven't been seen. I want to talk about women in nature. I want to see a movie about woman versus nature. I've never really seen that. I want to see a movie or a TV show where five women are all the stars of it and are talking to each other about things other than their romantic relationships with men. Because that's what women talk about. It's like 20% of what we talk about are relationships. But there's a whole other 80% of other interests, whether it's your job, your kids, your life, your friendships, your aging parents, what you want to accomplish in the world. Women just have a whole spectrum of dynamic ideas and influences that I wanted to see on film. So I think that's when I started finding my voice. You're a queen. Gang, I'm feeling pumped today. I'm so excited about the women we have on our show this episode. Artist Molly Shiat, writer Gabrielle Bellot, and the activist Monica Ramirez. Today we're talking about the power of speech. This is no simple reform. It really is a revolution. And it's here with every woman who chooses to say, me too. It is time to break the silence, that it is no longer acceptable to discuss women's rights as separate from human rights. Culture does not make people. People make culture. So if it is in fact true that the full humanity of women is not our culture, then we must make it our culture. Above all, whatever you do, be the heroine of your life, not the victim. We are following in the footsteps of amazing women who have used their voices to make change. Me Too has been so powerful because women have been speaking and connecting through their stories. And the world is finally listening. I know we stand on the shoulders of giants, and I'm here to shout their stories from the rooftops. I got a little help from filmmaker and artist Molly Shiat. She's the creator of the Unsung Heroines Project, which tells the stories of groundbreaking but often overlooked women changemakers throughout history. If you don't follow Unsung Heroines yet on Insta, believe me, you definitely should. 
Molly's here to tell us the story of how one group of women athletes use their voices and bodies to speak out. So one of the stories that I found to be really inspiring uh, where people's voices were used in such an expressive, controversial way was with the 1976 Yale women's crew team. On March 3rd, 1976, 19 members of the Yale women's crew team met in their basement locker room, and they wrote Title IX across one another's chests and also on one another's backs. And then they zipped up their sweatshirts and put on their navy blue Yaley sweatpants, and they cruised across campus into the office of Joni Barnett, who was the athletic director for all women's sports at the time on campus. Once they got inside of her office, the 19 women took off their sweatsuits, exposing their bare bodies with a controversial message. And the 19 women were represented by, by one of their teammates named Chris Ernst. And Chris Ernst read the team's statement. These are the bodies Yale is exploiting. We have come here today to make it clear how unprotected we are to show graphically what we are being exposed to. On a day like today, the rain freezes on our skin. Then we sit on a bus for half an hour as ice melts into our sweats to meet the sweat that is soaked onto our clothes underneath. No effective action has been taken, and no matter what we hear, it doesn't make these bodies warmer or drier or less prone to sickness. We are not just healthy young things in blue and white uniforms who perform feats of strength for Yale in the nice spring weather. We are not just statistics on your win column. We are human and being treated as less than such. So there was a reporter that was standing by that was recording these 19 rad women that were basically putting this woman on blast. And the following day, the New York Times ran a story that was titled Yale Woman Stripped to Protest a Lack of Cruise Showers. And within that year, the women's facilities had improved tremendously, and Yale hired a new director of athletics. Title IX passed four years before the protest in Joan Barnett's office. The law guaranteed that no person on the basis of sex should be excluded from the education or activities associated with a school that receives federal funding. But despite the law, Yale's women's athletes endured subpar dangerous conditions while winning accolades from the school. I think that after learning about these women and learning about their story, that it's just so obvious that our bodies are powerful and our voices are too. And I'd just like to thank the brave women that were on that team. For so much of history, women weren't empowered to speak their truth and have a voice. And it's pretty incredible that women are all collectively doing it more now. But that doesn't mean it's easy to use your voice, even within a movement like Me Too. Writer Gabrielle Bellot knows this all too well. She's a staff writer for Literary Hub, and she's written for The New York Times, The New Yorker, Slate, and Tin House. She's an expert on writing about literature and identity, and I am so excited to have her here with us. As somebody who is a, a trans woman, um, I sometimes find myself 
at the borders of the Me Too movement. Because on the one hand, you know, it's easy to say if you're a woman who, you know, pauses to say that, well, this has happened to Me Too and we're all in this together. But then you begin to realize that there are many signs that you aren't actually the kind of woman who everybody uh, rallying behind a hashtag would accept. And sometimes it's due, due to physical things. It could be what your body looks like. It could be the width of your shoulders. It could be your genitalia. It could be something like your physical voice, which is honestly the thing that, that always... Um, has given me the most anxiety as a person in general. Um, but specifically when it comes to movements like this, I sometimes feel the sense of profound isolation simply because I, I get worried that I, you know, if there is some little thing that isn't the same as the vast majority of other women's, and by that I mean cisgender women's experiences, then unfortunately you begin to meet women who don't want you in the movement, who think that, well, you're actually just one of the people who we are talking about, who we are rallying against. And that sort of makes you begin to feel isolated. At times I do want to speak up louder and say, well, you know, I'm here, I'm proud of who I am, and I don't see myself as in any way being distinct from any other kind of woman. And and there is a sort of, you know, power in, in saying this. But it's also, you know, sort of nerve-wracking sometimes to speak up, because the very thing that gives us power is also the thing that, you know, attracts the the worst factions to come after you. Um, and it also, you know, just becomes very awkward where you might be in a room of um, cis women and you were accepted before you made your transness explicit. And as soon as you do this, suddenly it's as if there is this tension in the room and you begin to feel as if you're this kind of uh, stranger who has sneaked, sneaked onto a ship and you're this passenger who's not supposed to be there. And, I don't know, suddenly this, you know, calm and happy boat ride becomes this place where you're a stowaway and you're not quite supposed to be there. So I, I am always the kind of person who, despite being very um, shy in person, is very much willing to be loud on the page. You have to speak up, but sometimes it's scary, but you have to. I am Gabrielle Ballot. I am a Dominican. I am a trans woman of color. I am multiracial. I am a writer. I am finally a woman who is speaking out. Yes, Gabrielle, speak out. We have to overcome so many obstacles in this quest to become our whole selves. We have to squash all the narratives we've been fed into our heads since we were young. 
I, you know, personally, I think the world needs your voice, Gabrielle. I, I honestly cannot wait until you're shouting your story because if you don't tell your story, who will? Activist and civil rights attorney Monica Ramirez is the founder of Alianza Nacional de Campesinas. She's behind the letter of solidarity in Time magazine supporting the women of Hollywood in the Me Too movement. Hollywood responded with the launch of the Time's Up campaign, which works to eradicate inequality in all workplaces. Monica has become a key partner to Time's Up, helping it speak up for women across all industries, which makes sense because Monica has been speaking up and telling her own story and the story of the people in her community since she was a kid. The arrival of farm workers to my community when the new agricultural season began every summer was significant to me. And I remember um, I was about 14 years old. I, I noticed that our area newspaper, the Fremont News Messenger, had a whole section of the newspaper that said, Welcome back, fishermen. And that was because where I grew up, there was a, a river, and so a lot of people would come to go fishing in the summer uh, at the Sandusky River. And the first thing that struck me was, well, why isn't there a welcome back farm worker page of the newspaper? And so I asked my dad, you know, because I asked my dad everything. <laughs> my dad said, I don't know, you know, you should ask them. And I remember, you know, riding my bike down to the local newspaper. I wanted to know why there was a welcome back fisherman page, but not a welcome back farm worker page. And I think they were sort of surprised. Maybe they were also sort of amused. They said, okay, well, why don't you go ahead and do it? Go ahead and write the stories. And so at the age of 14, I started writing for my local newspaper, and I started covering my beat, basically, was the Latino community. They let me um, have a bilingual page, and so we would write. I would write the stories in English, and then we would translate them into Spanish. And so they eventually let me have my own column. So every month I would have a, a column that would come out in the newspaper about you know whatever I decided was important that month. I remember that they called that column the voice of the people. I remember how excited people would get when I'd call them to interview them or, you know, I'd show up at an event with my little notebook and I would, you know, take notes and get quotes from people and have you. And I, and I, and I think that maybe for some of them that was the first time that they felt like they were being seen too. People were reading what I was writing and they had comments about what I was writing. We were able to engage in a conversation about what I was writing. But as a high school student, I don't necessarily know that I understood the power of what I was doing, um, but what I did understand is that when I took the chance to express my position or to express my opinion in a public way, which I did every time I wrote one of those columns, that my opinions reached people. It had an opportunity to influence the way that they thought about certain topics or issues, I don't think I necessarily understood the power of that in the way that I understand now. But I do know that it had an impact to the extent that it started conversations that needed to happen in my small town and did happen because there was something in print that gave people something to think about and then gave people something to talk about or something to do as a result of what they read.
I grew up in a really small town in Ohio called Fremont, Ohio. It's an agricultural community that's very close to Toledo, Ohio. Growing up, I think they had a population size of maybe about 30,000 people. My mother's side of the family and my father's side of the family worked as agricultural workers in the United States. For many, many years, my family members would migrate from Texas up north and you know travel around the Midwest picking different crops. My father, from childhood, he worked in the fields until he was about 19 years old. He lived in the segregated South, and so at that time when he was growing up, there wasn't a school for Latino children. So there was a school for African-American children and there was a school for white children, but the Latino children didn't have a school. You know, my father used to talk about picking cotton in Mississippi and some days uh, being so tired that he and my aunt and uncles would sleep on the, the cotton that they had just picked, you know, because they were so exhausted. One of the farmers that my, my grandparents worked for took an interest in my dad. At the age of 13, this farmer taught my dad how to read and write and then paid for my dad to go to school. That changed the course of our lives because, you know, my aunts and uncles and um, my grandfather, they continued to work in the fields in Ohio, but my father was able to get a factory job and eventually they pulled together their resources and bought a house there. Um, But because of those two farmers, my brother and sister and I never had to work in the fields. You know, we're a generation away from the experience of, of my family working in agriculture and in just one generation have really seen a significant change because I think that, can you imagine, like, from the fields to Harvard Square? I mean, if you had said to my parents, one day you'll have a daughter who will grow up and be a lawyer, it would have been unimaginable. The Me Too movement, I think, has had an impact. It allowed people from all walks of life, from all backgrounds, all ages, all ethnicities, to start being vocal about the fact that they too had suffered and the fact that they were too afraid to talk about it before or you know, some of the barriers to coming forward. Or some talked about the fact that they had come forward, or they tried to come forward and nobody listened. Because of the way that everything broke, And the fact that it was not just one or two individuals who were sharing their truth, but it was thousands of people who were sharing their truth through social media and other ways. And I think that it was that like tidal wave of stories that came forward, you know, that really made everybody pause and finally say, okay, this isn't just one person's problem. And one of the things that I hope will change from this movement is that farmworker women will not subside back into the shadows. The women who I walk alongside and serve have endured this problem for so many years, and most of the time it's been in silence. And when our members made the decision to march in solidarity with the women in the entertainment industry who were experiencing this problem, and then, and then later made the decision to issue our statement, I think that that was the first time that maybe a lot of people in our country and even in other parts of the world ever really saw them. The impact of the action of just basically reaching out and saying, we see you, we hear you, we understand you, the behind that very kind and real action, there was also a lot of strength and power. And I don't think that many people in our country probably 
understood the strength and power of migrant farm worker women in our nation before that time. And and so what's happened as a result of that is that um, the experiences of migrant farm worker women are still being explored and discussed. And so my hope is that farmworker women never have to go back into the background and that farmworker women are never forgotten again. Wow, that is so beautiful. I can relate to this so much because I know how hard it was for my parents and their struggle and coming here and providing a good life for me and my brother. And it's why I'm so encouraged now to use my voice in the way that I've been using it to speak my truth. I wrote my book, In the Country We Love, My Family Divided, in 2016. My parents were undocumented immigrants, and for as long as I could remember, I always knew this fact, that they were undocumented, and that there was a possibility that they could be deported. I told the story of how I came from high school one day in Boston, Massachusetts, and how my parents weren't home, and basically how I grew up on my own without my family. I talk about how I had to make a choice that no kid should have to make, especially at that age. I was 14. The decision whether to stay in America or whether to say goodbye to my family. I chose to stay in the United States so that I could finish my studies and so that I could try to make something of myself. And this was very important to me because my parents had worked so hard to be here and I just I felt a personal responsibility to be here and carry out this story, my story. And all I did was I gave myself the opportunity to be honest. And never in a million years did I think that <laughs> that I would be talking about this issue out loud to people, let alone writing a book. I never thought that I could be honest about who I really was. And I have seen this power inside me that I never knew I had. And it's helped people who I shared my story with. So many kids who have gone through family separation or are in fear of having their family separated, they know that they have someone in me or a story like mine to reference. I was at a university and a young girl approached me, and she had my book. And she asked me, she says, well, you know, in the book you talk about wanting to do something around social justice or at one point wanting to be a lawyer. And I said yes because, because of my own experience. And she said, you know, my parents are undocumented, and I fear that they will get deported or they'll be taken away at any minute. And reading your book gave me the courage to pursue law, immigration law. And it just blew my mind. I right away gave her a hug and I said, oh my gosh, this is something that I wish that I could have done, but I'm not as smart as you. 
So go out there and please be an immigration lawyer because we need you. Speaking up for your community is very powerful and it can change lives. And I know it changed mine. And I will continue using my voice in any way that I can. And I will continue encouraging others to do the same because it is a game changer. All right. So I really just laid it all out there for you. Give me some love, listeners. Tell me your stories. Tell me what you're using your voice for. And I want to hear all of you. Tweet Insta at Hello Sunshine. Send us a voice memo to hello at hello-sunshine.com. I've been doing a lot of talking, and now it's your turn. You're a queen. next week for our episode on freedom and what it means to survive and flourish against all odds. Krista Tippett will be dropping some major wisdom, guys. When I look at this moment we're in, I'm I'm spending a lot of time and energy thinking about how we walked into this moment, and I think that's really important reflection for us to understand how we walk out of it. Yes, we are finding our path both personally and as a culture. Now that we've heard how it is, learn what we do. Visit hello-sunshine.com to read, learn, and get involved in the conversation. On this episode, you heard from Molly Shia, Gabrielle Balat, Monica Ramirez, and me. I'm Diane Guerrero. I am a Latina. I am an author. I'm an actress, an activist. I am a human being, a citizen of this universe. And this is how it is. How It Is is a production of Hello Sunshine. It is executive produced by Amy S. Choi, Rebecca Lair, and Reese Witherspoon. Our senior producers are Jillian Ferguson and Michelle Lands, And our producer is Charlotte Coe. Sound design by Jocelyn Gonzalez. Our theme song, Queen, is written and performed by Victoria Canal. Hasta pronto! That's not funny. Sorry, guys. Just trying out new material.